Zedheads, welcome to our podcast. I'm Lucy and this is The Walking Dead cast, episode 309. Jason's not with us this week. He's been at Walker Soccer Con Nashville, hanging out with the cast of Fear the Walking Dead and The Walking Dead. But I'm delighted to be here with my co-host for the week, Lara Willie Swink, who is a long-time Walking Dead cast listener and huge Fear the Walking Dead fan. Lara, hello. Hello, Lucy. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be on the podcast. We are excited to have you. Um, for our listeners out there, could you give us a little bit of background on yourself and your zombie history, as it were? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I've always been a big time comic book horror and zombie fan since a young age. And uh, was following this uh, local horror movie fan club uh, Facebook page and saw this thing about The Walking Dead coming out. Uh, I, I actually did read the comic books, but I knew they were out there and uh, heard about the, the TV show, which sounded really great. And I was there on Halloween 2010 when it came on season one, episode one. Yeah. Been following. Yeah. And enjoyed it and watched it with my husband for quite a few seasons. But uh, sometime around season four, I really got into it. That still, in my opinion, is my favorite season mm-hmm. and wanted to talk to someone about it. But my husband doesn't geek out like that. He he watches it and then he's done. He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> my friends aren't big horror fans. They didn't want to talk about it. So I got onto iTunes and first thing I saw was the Walking Dead cast with Jason and Karen. Started listening to that and um, been with them ever since and also started watching Fear the Walking Dead. Season one, episode one was so, so on it for the first couple of seasons, but seasons three and four have really picked it up. Amazing. That's so great to hear. Well, obviously, we know each other a little from the Patreon Z Heads group, which is a shout out to anyone out there who isn't already a member. It's a great way to find fellow Z Heads and talk about everything, not even just zombies, life, the universe and everything. And it's certainly been a real pleasure to get to know people like Lara and Rima and even Jason himself um, over the past few years that way. So it's great to have you here today, Lara. Without further ado then, I'm going to take us into our Deadcast Top 5. 
Attention shoppers, Deadcast Top 5 in 5, 4, 3, 2. Okay, so looking at our top five highlights for Fear the Walking Dead Season 4, Episode 5, Laura. Before we get stuck in, Lara, can I ask what your general opinion of the episode was? Yeah, I loved this episode. Uh-huh. I think it was a <laughs> wonderful Mother's Day gift to all of the <gasps> Of course! <laughs> you know, your and my favorite cowboy, John Dory, probably captured the hearts of many a lady last night. Oh, I mean, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> It was a good old-fashioned love story in the apocalypse, and I don't think we've really gotten a whole lot of that on The Walking Dead or here. We really haven't, and I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it being on Mother's Day, but what a lovely treat for all the mamas out there, I have to say. (laughs) I agree. I thought it was a really lovely episode. I don't know. This is playing devil's advocate a little bit. I don't know if, as an episode of The Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead, it worked, but as a love story one-off bottle episode, I absolutely loved it. Do you know what I mean? It, it was sort of, it felt almost like it was from another show, but in a wonderful way. And what better way to improve a love story than with zombies? So <laughs> so for me, it was definitely up in the, the four out of five GAC range. How about, what would you rate? Yeah, maybe even edging up a little bit to 4.5 or so. Yeah. I, just, I thought it was really poetic and beautiful. It really was. It was It was a delight. And I'm so glad that as the fellow co-convener of the John Dory fan club, you're here to celebrate with me today and discuss the episode. Um, yeah. So we have kind of a rule that uh, guests first. So take it away. What was your top five for this week's episode? Okay, so I'll say my number five five was that this was a really beautiful intimate character study um Mm. we've seen a lot of those on both shows but um like last season's 100 with daniel was a really good episode Mm. um if you remember that one i do that was the where we found it was the first time we'd kind of seen him after the ranch not the ranch sorry the mexico house is that right it was when we saw him yeah that's right yeah the fire at the villa and we see him with oh i've forgotten the guy's name he has a really fantastic name as well um uh, ephraim is that right and lola yes they yeah and they kind of rescue him and we get that whole story that was a good one actually i hadn't thought about that episode in a while yeah character study yeah and the here's not here i sometimes i just love those those intimate character studies Mm. the nice break from all the the violence and the killing. Absolutely. And, and the I th- Yeah. And I think Here's Not Here is a really good reference point in terms of two characters, a cabin, sort of non-violence versus violence, the kind of discussions you have in that sort of isolation. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a really good point, I think. Yeah, this, I loved um, the character development of Laura and John. They, they got more fleshed out. We see that he's this uh, a cowboy poet and a true gentleman. Mm. I think it was funny that a lot of people thought he was like sketchy and was probably going to be like a, I a know. sociopath who kept her hostage. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice when our expectations aren't met sometimes. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Oh, I think that's a really nice place to start. Yeah, it was. It's a sweet character study. My 
number five was going to be Naomi's story. And I think that ties in with this in a way because it is, in a lot of ways, a character study of her as well. And I think her softness really appealed to me in this particular episode. We saw her kind of prickliness and her self-preservation and her desire to kind of run away and not connect with people. But there was something about the two of them together that really resonated when they brought out the kind of niceness of that relationship with each other and really kind of brought out the sides of their characters that were perhaps more intimate and more personal and gentler. And that's something that just really appealed to me about this episode generally. Yeah, that was really nice. You you got to see a bit more of her kindness too, the way she left the uh, medical supplies for people. That was such a nice character moment. It was the kind of thing you could imagine John doing, actually. Mm-hmm. It was, um, that was really quite sweet. And in terms of the characters that we saw, what do you feel we've, learned about both of them what sort of development have we seen well I think we get a big one from Laura and I just I loved the part where she tells John that she lost her child because <gasps> I think we suspected it from episode two yeah when she said she doesn't have a child oh it, she's the way that Jenna Elfman delivered that line was just harrowing it was such a simple line but it was so powerful and um, just the pain there it was yeah, three re- words Oh, so sad. Just one of the most kind of emotionally sort of fraught bits that has happened in this part of the season so far. And John's reaction of just shock. It it felt like at that moment they both let their guards down. You know, John fell asleep and kind of relaxed properly. And she told him what the deal was. And that seemed to be really quite a big thing for her to to talk about. I did quite like as well that we didn't get further resolution to that really we didn't then get a sweet story about who her kid was and what had happened it was just sort of there it was just a fact and we didn't dig any further into it I think that's kind of that was kind of nice yeah I thought it was sweet how they just made it I mean I, I thought it was kind of beautiful that she just says it and he just sort of stares at her and, and there was acceptance there he didn't grill her for more information or anything he just he was he just was very kind about it and didn't uh, make her speak more about it if she didn't want. He was that the whole way, though. He never forced her no. to do or stay or tell her him about anything that she didn't want to. No, absolutely. He um he was a real gentleman in that respect, and obviously that takes her by surprise to an extent when he's talking about the keys to the truck being on the visor and things like that. She's ready for a fight. She's ready to attack, and he's just like, no, I'm just telling you where the keys are they're there you know but also the car doesn't work and it's just such a different kind of character from what we've seen so far on both shows that I think I'm quite uh as listeners may be able to tell from the tones of our voices we are quite enchanted with John Dory and what he brings to the show in terms of his character there do you have any other notes on that point just the one thing that he made her romantic cowboy bouillabaisse Oh, <laughs> I hate fish, but I would have eaten that soup. <laughs> like, 
such a sweetheart and trying to kind of smooth talk over soup just never seems to be a good idea he's like soup is the blanket of food i was like oh no man <laughs> he's adorable so smooth, so, smooth. so smooth and you know teach a woman to fish and she will dump you by a scrabble board and leave the next day but you know it was still sweet while it lasted <laughs> yeah what can you do i know what can you do in terms of Naomi slash Laura, this is going to be annoying for the episode because I'm probably going to go between the two names, but I completely agree with you. That scene with her revelation about her child was, while not unexpected, really powerful. And the fact that she felt comfortable enough to reveal that was quite, quite something. And I think the shots of her kind of softening towards John at Bill's store, where she's kind of giggling about his name, um... Mm-hmm. It was very adorable. And they both share a sweet tooth, which I liked. Um, And I did not know you got blackjacks also in the United States. I think they are the same thing here as they are there. I think we do. But, you you know, you have to go to like those really vintage kind of candy shops to find those. Uh, Are they like kind of licorice sweets sort of things? I think so. Yeah. I'm not fond of them, so I don't think I've had very many. Yeah, I think they're quite retro here as well. Um, you used to get those, and the other one that we had that I always remember alongside blackjacks was called a fruit salad, and it was kind of pink and yellow. I would always prefer a fruit salad, personally, but I did like that they, they showed her kind of getting her hand in the sweet jar and sort of a little kind of common trail between the two. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that was our number fives. Um, how about number four? Number four is Apocalypse Survival 101. Oh, do go on. Yes, I, I just loved um, the survival aspect of it, which we haven't seen in a while. Mm. Just uh, so someone who grew up camping in the mountains every single summer. John is living in my dream zombie apocalypse shelter there. Ah! The <laughs> cabin on the river in the woods. Just, Amazing. He's got and he's got all the things you you tell yourself. This is what I'm gonna do in the zombie apocalypse. He's got the moat dug. Yeah. He's fishing in the river. He's foraging for food. Yeah. Now I don't know where he's got the eggs. I didn't see any chickens, but I'm I, thinking maybe they're duck eggs. I got them second time round because I had the same oh, yeah. note. I was like, where the hell are those chickens? Um, but when he was outside talking to Laura when she's trying to leave the first time. On the side of the co- uh, on the side of the the cabin, there is a small enclosed chicken coop, and there were about three massive looking chickens in there. Um, uh, so that is where the eggs came from. But it did take me a while. I was like, "Where are these eggs coming from?" Like, the- mm. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and look for that. Mm. I like the the water retention barrels, the wind powered turbine. Yeah, I was wondering if John was living off the grid before the apocalypse because he had quite the setup there. I. My instinct is yes, because when he's telling his story about his gunshot incident, uh, he she asks him, is that when you moved up here? And he seems to say, yeah. And I wonder if, I think you're right, I think he has been set up there even before the apocalypse. Um, and it's maybe been not that much of a transition for him. You, you get the feeling that not much has really phased him. And I do wonder if part of that is that he was living there already, kind of, maybe not with the moat, but in that kind of setup inside. Yeah, well, it was a sweet setup. I loved, I loved it. And I loved him showing Naomi, or I really call her Laura, because she's, he thinks she's Laura in this episode. Yeah. So he's teaching her to fish. He's teaching her how to gut a fish. And 
like right on good for you oh so good it's just great it actually made me want to go fishing i've never wanted to go fishing before in my life but this episode i was like do you know it's a useful survival skill (laughs) you're right and i think he was being sweet to her because her cast off was not good Mm, not so great not so great she did did someone who has gone fishing before that was a bad cast off it kind of went plunk Uh (laughs) into the water i love it it's like yeah guys he's being adorable for sure so zombie apocalypse survival 101 i like it so yeah he had the moat set up which i quite liked i was so i have this recurring thing that i fixate on on zombie films and it's not just john dory it's how people who are surviving on their own ever manage to sleep like i can't imagine ever being relaxed enough to sleep I'm guessing the system that John had, from what I understand of it, was that the splashing of a zombie would wake him up. Is that is that what you understood as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he just became accustomed to listening to that, so he became a very light and infrequent sleeper. Yeah, because we've seen people set up like tin cans and things like this before, or something that's going to make a, a noise. I just felt like splashing. I was like, I don't know if I would always wake up for that. But like you say, light sleeping he's probably going to be quite in tune with it. It was, it was very rustic. It was very chic. I enjoyed it very much. I have to agree with you on that one. Uh, Would there be anything you would change in your own zombie apocalypse 101? Those trees, those trees right outside of the cabin from someone who's who's stayed up in cabins in the woods, they're they're too close to the house. That's a fire danger. Ah. You need to cut those trees down. (laughs) I love it. I'm such an idiot when it comes to the outdoors. I know none of this. This is amazing. Okay, so no trees near the cabin. Fair enough. No, no. And you mentioned earlier the wind power. Would that have been what was giving him electricity in the cabin? Was that little kind of windmill that we saw outside the front? I am guessing that's what it was for. Um, I've always thought in the past on The Walking Dead, I don't know if I'd be running a generator in the apocalypse those things are loud they would attract attract a lot of zombies but the wind power might be a better option might make some sense um i'm intrigued by some of the systems of powering that we're seeing because i think that's one of the things that proctor john mentions at the end of season three is that texas has its own grid or that there's something to do with power in texas being more easy to come by or divisible i don't know so it's quite interesting to see these little pockets of you know, running water and power and things like that, they become so rare in a zombie apocalypse that it's quite intriguing when you see them. Something as simple as watching a video or putting a lamp on um, becomes this amazing event that we just take for granted now. Would you opt for the axe as your weapon or would you have brought the guns out earlier? Uh, I kind of like the axe. Uh, it's quiet and it's just more badass. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's badass. Okay, my number four kind of carries on from this, but not quite. I'm going to awkwardly segue it in. Just because it absolutely cracked me up, I loved John, the film critic. I actually paused to read his reviews of the films that he'd written on that little sign-out sheet at Bill's shop. I couldn't make out all of them, but (laughs) people are like, why did you pause this, Lucy? Nobody wants to know what it said on that list. Well, I'm going to tell you. I want to know. (laughs) So my favourite one is at the top, um, he had reviewed Labyrinth, uh, and he had written that it was unsettling, (laughs) which I thought was quite funny. 
The second film, I couldn't make out the name, but it was very sad. The third film, I think, was Singing in the Rain, but I'm happy to be corrected on that. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, the next one, it read like Somewhere on Time, but I'm sure someone will be able to correct me about what that actually was. Uh, it was questionable, according to John Dory. The next one... Maybe Somewhere in Time. Somewhere in Time. Ah, okay. Somewhere in Time. Well, it's questionable, according to John. A one-word film next. It looked like Critter, but it might have been Critters, actually, now that I think about it. According to John Dory, not as funny as promised. So that's a bit of a damning indictment there of that film. The Green Mile was too long. Watership (laughs) Down, wish it was longer. Friday the 13th, too violent. The Road to Bali is a good time. And then, of course, he checks out the film that's kind of one of the motifs of the episode, which is Meet John Doe, which is quite fitting because it is an episode about meeting this unknown John and this unknown Laura and this idea of sort of getting to know these people who are, I don't know, a John Doe is somebody we don't really know who they are. You know, it's a kind of name that we give someone who we don't, we've no idea of their real identity. So it's quite interesting to have that as a reference when he, you know, gives Laura her name and refers to her and things like that. So though I, I that really tickled me and I loved that in the apocalypse, again, relating back to what you were saying about character development and in fact about Zombie Apocalypse 101 is that John kept up this routine of normalcy. He kept up, you know, having his coffee, having his eggs, doing his scrabble spending his days you know Tuesday is the day he goes to the shop he goes to the shop he picks up his video he returns it he keeps that order to his life and that I found really pleasing um to learn about someone who's quite self-contained but does have this sort of routine in the midst of all this horror so for me yeah it was number four was John's movie reviews um I'd I'd definitely like to see him live tweet some films That's an amazing number four. I don't think that was a deep dive. That yeah. Was a deep dive, Lucy. Thank you for that. I was like, pause it, pause it. We need to see what the films are. I think it was because I saw one that said too violent. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. What does he think is too violent? So I went into it there. Also, I was intrigued to like what VHS you would get because I haven't seen a VHS in quite a while now. So I was wondering what ones they would have in stock. Right. For sure. Who even has a VHS player anymore? Apparently, John does. Apparently, John does. Yeah, I thought that was really quite funny. I was like, and the other, I mean, the other thing, possession of John's that must be commented upon is his amazing alarm clock, um, oh, with the singing. Yes, I was going to very much comment on that one. <laughs> Do you feel free to take it away? Oh, my husband's grandmother has one of those. In her house, <gasps> much to the joy and amusement of all the children, and Amazing. much to the chagrin of the adults. Amazing. Plays two songs, and they just play it over and over and over again. What are the two songs? It's the "Take Me to the River" uh-huh. and oh my god, I, I'm sorry, I cannot remember the other one right now. I'm sure it'll come to me halfway through. <laughs> I liked it because I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that I also watched or did watch um, the Fox programme Last Man on Earth and there's Mm -hmm. an amazing kind of visual and audio gag in season two or three where they set up basically a a burglar alarm with all of these singing fish statues and they all sing Joy to the World Jeremiah was a bullfrog um, also famous in 
X-Files fandom as well. But anyway, so there's this scene where they're walking down the hall and there's like something like 20, 30 of these fish all singing Jeremiah was a bullfrog. And I was quite disappointed that that was not the song that we got today. But Take Me to the River was an adequate substitute. Um, so these exist. They are a real thing. They are. They are real. I have seen it, listened to it, wished that it was broken. <laughs> and the other song I just remembered is Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> Oh, I think I've seen one doing that before. Yeah, I bet your kids love it, though. They love it. They st- I think that thing has been in their house for probably 15 years, and it's still there. Oh my goodness, it's still going. It will work into the apocalypse. Ah. <laughs> I love that. The things that remain in the apocalypse are like toffees, blackjacks, and singing fish. It's Irritating it's singing fish. Irritating singing fish for John Dory, the fish man. Um, that's amazing. Okay, so how about your number three? My number three is The Walker Attack in the Academy. Oh, go on. This was a, yeah. yeah. That felt like classic zombie horror to me. It's the woods, it's night. The zombies piling into the moat. And even though we knew that Laura and John weren't going to die, mm-hmm. it, I, there was real tension, you know? I was like clenching my fist going, no, no. I'm so glad you said that because I felt that as well. I'm like, oh, I mean, I know they're both safe, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good. I loved the walkers crawling out of the moat because it, it's just like the old zombie horrors where they're crawling out of the grave and they're yes. like clawing at the dirt. Oh, so it was gruesome. And having them, the way the moat kind of became a bit dangerous when they all started piling up in it, that really got me. I was like, no, it's fine. They're going to fall in. And I'm like, no, there's too many. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Probably should have dug that moat deeper. Uh Making their own bridge. It was just mad. No, I thought that was an absolutely excellent scene as well. So as a zombie fan, that rated quite highly for you. Very. And it was so wonderful when... uh, you just know he's, it's going to be there, but that, they're, uh, that John's going to go get them. But all of a sudden, you hear, hear the six shooters just bam, bam, bam. I was literally clapping my hands like a child. Oh, I, you and me both, sister. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had to take a breath when he went for the last one as well. It was so close to Laura. I was like, oh, uh-huh. no. But oh, there's something so satisfying about it as well um, as a kind of resolution to that mini sort of gun plot that he had about being afraid of using a gun or his kind of history with them. I thought that was a really kind of worthy payoff. I think this is actually quite handy because my number three was also zombies. So absolutely agree with you. The nighttime zombies were absolutely amazing. It reminded me a lot of Night of the Living Dead when he first came out and saw them all kind of shambling up. And for an episode that was quite zombie-like, it felt sometimes when you're watching an episode of the show and it's like a massive horde of zombies, it's easy to get numb to it and just be like, oh, there's a zombie, there's another one, there's another one. Whereas when you suddenly, after not having seen very many at all, suddenly see this kind of group of them, even though it's not the biggest group we've ever seen, it suddenly seems so much more threatening, kind of scarier than it has done previously. And I think that worked really, really well in that particular scene. How did you feel about kind of other zombie encounters in this episode? Uh, I did like the one where they were rowing up to the zombie in the boat and she was about to stab it and John just takes the paddle and dunks it down. And yeah. like, off you go now. <laughs> He's like, okay, bye. <laughs> just slumps away. 
He really he reminded me of like almost like a farmer or a gardener to whom these are like a little pest. It's like, ah, oh, damn, mice have got it again. And he's just like, oh, I'm just going to give it a little hit and it will be fine. <laughs> the zombies on the bridge, I thought were pretty good as well. That one, so I don't know how to describe it. Zombie with machete through him that kind machete of... To, machete through the chest zombie? Yeah, machete to the chest zombie. <laughs> he was, well, he was a triple threat, wasn't he? You know, zombie, zombie bite, and also massive machete um, right. stuck through him. He was quite something. And you did, I found myself like you, I'm like, well, logically John can't die, but I'm still kind of worried because he could get cut or, you know, anything could happen. Um, and I thought that was a pretty excellent bit of zombieing that particular kind of fight i'm just trying to think of any other zombies that i had notes on there i'm i'm slightly confused about what the impact of water on zombies is it doesn't stop them but it does slow them down is that right right yeah i mean they they don't really swim right so they just kind of float uh-huh. until they they get washed up somewhere yeah and then they start clawing to get out yeah, and the ones we saw outside John's were kind of clambering out of the river, I get Like, they'd kind of floated up and then clambered up to the the house. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably one of those things I can hear Jason's voice saying, don't question it, Department of Suspension of Disbelief. And I'm like, that's fine, <laughs> I'm fine with that. So I find that, yeah, I'm with you on the zombie action there. I'm just having a wee check of any other zombie notes that I made. I think I just like the way they gradually increased as well. You know, they start with one, it's like a little drip drip of zombies and then it suddenly becomes, oh my goodness, there's like a hundred of them. Well, they're not a hundred, there's like 12 of them outside and it suddenly becomes a very real, very urgent threat. And I like that they both saved each other at various points. I thought that was nice. It wasn't just him saving her. It was a mixture of both supporting one another. Um, they were a team, and he knew that she could take care of herself. But when he was up there stringing up the the metal to the the fence, he he just kind of nods her, and she knows he's she can take care of herself. Yeah, he that zombie. Absolutely, and that's really cool. That's that's nice to see. He doesn't treat her like a little lady; he treats her like an equal, and that's something that is really quite nice I think to behold um, I'm trying really hard not to just geek out about John Dory here guys I'm being very restrained <laughs> wait till I get to my notes it's just loads of notes of me writing hearts um, <laughs> we're sorry we're this so is very estrogen based yeah. <laughs> hey I'm sure there's guys out there as well who are not complaining so you know we're, what can I say I think we're on number two, two. Um, my number two was uh, that crushing sense of loneliness. <laughs> Just that crushing sense of loneliness. Okay, go on. This loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> I think Pierre does this really well. Um, last season, we had Strand on the um, Abigail, the sinking Abigail talking to the cosmonaut. Oh my, that was an amazing scene. That? Yes. Yeah. It's just so beautiful, but so sad, so lonely. You know, that cosmonaut, you sense his loneliness and Strand's loneliness. Yes, that is such a beautiful scene, isn't it? Because it sounds so contrived and it sounds really out there and kind of like, well, that wouldn't happen. But then why wouldn't it happen? And they they quote Chekhov and things to each other, don't they? There's this beautiful kind of exchange. Yeah, thank you for reminding me of that one. 
Yeah, I love that came back to me when I was watching this because I felt the same with John. I mean, he had his routine and he had everything under control and, and he was living his nice life in his isolated cabin, but you could just sense how lonely he was. Just he woke up in bed and just stared at the ceiling. He ate his breakfast and he's doing his um Scrabble and I love that they brought back the platypus that we hear in in season, or in episode one. Yes. He says, platypus potable oh <laughs> like, yes where did platypus come from of course of course oh my god i didn't pick up on that yes yeah. platypus and then he's just talking to himself all day and it's like it's so sad and this woman shows up on his doorstep and it's it's like he's been given air because he has another human to speak to oh absolutely because you would, wouldn't you? You would get lonely. You know, even if you're the most antisocial person in the world, I would imagine that come the apocalypse, you would be just absolutely desperate for some kind of human contact. Yeah, if you're out there isolated and alone, I just, I think, you know, the walkers are a threat, people are a threat. But I think if you're alone, just like loneliness and what that would do to you, to your mental health, just seems like a real danger as well for sure for sure i did think to myself how awful slash comedic it would be if you were in that situation in that cabin and the person that turned up was actually just the biggest asshole in the world and after like two days you're like do you know what eternal loneliness was better than this you can leave <laughs> but that yeah, would not be really did you know, a, get a good deal was, get a good hand dealt to him well she says something like i was very lucky to wash up here on your front porch i'm like yeah he was pretty lucky as well though i mean this could have gone wrong <laughs> yeah, this could have gone sideways really quickly this could have turned this, into a sociopath yeah this could have gone bad real quick like why are you living in this cabin all alone by yourself? Just like, I just have to go somewhere else now. Ooh. Do you think loneliness is something that's more apparent in fear than in the main show? I'm sure there's some examples of it in the main show, but I can't really ring, think of any right now. Mm. And the other um, example I was thinking of, although he may not have been lonely, but that librarian in the last episode. Of course, there yeah. in the library with his books, and why did he kill himself? Was he starving to death or was he just sick of being alone yeah that's because there was nobody else really around and you got the feeling he'd maybe barricaded himself in mm-hmm. at that point I, i'm really struck by and i know jason and i spoke about it in the first episode and a listener kindly um kindly wrote in about it as well um how much more vast texas seems as a setting like it struck me when we were in Bill's shop, it hadn't been raided. You know, there was still stuff on the shelves, and I just thought, you know, isn't it interesting that it's not so mobbed in this particular point that things have been looted, that everything's gone, and that John? Because part of me was like, John, you idiot, don't pick little bits. You know, you never know if it's all going to still be there, but maybe he does. Maybe it is that quiet of a place that chances of people coming along to it are really slim and he mentions when she asks what became of bill um he mentions you know that he hadn't seen people for a few weeks and that the road had been closed off for maintenance so i feel like there's a lot more space in this show than in the main one and i think that loneliness kind of thrives in that space because it gives it room to to breathe um and this real sense of people don't just you know people don't just stumble across your path in normal situation here it's it's a case of being particularly isolated 
Yeah, loneliness. Sad, but ultimately quite beautiful, I think, for for John. Mm-hmm. And for Laura. I mean, do you think Laura's lonely too? Um, I think so, but I think it's a self-imposed loneliness, you know. Well, maybe for John too. Maybe he feels he's safer being isolated, but, you know, she keeps herself guarded and at an arm's length from everyone. Obviously, every time she meets a group, she's ready to run away. Yeah, it's... I hope we get slightly... While I'm glad that they left some things kind of unsaid and unspecified, I do hope that we get a little bit of where she's been, the places that she's seen, and maybe even what happened with her her child, because it would be interesting to kind of learn about that. I think um, that that thought has just completely gone out of my head. Apologies. Uh, Laura's loneliness, John's loneliness. Yeah, it's just... You know, they share their loneliness. I think that's what brings them together. Yeah, and I think John, that was it. John, it's interesting that they they become more comfortable sharing it with each other. And I think there is a sense as well in which John was lonely before as well when he talks about having kind of isolated himself since that shooting incident. You get the feeling that maybe he, this is not just a zombie apocalypse thing. This is something that he's been, you know, that's been part of his personality for a wee while now. It's like there are two people who you can imagine are fine with their own company. They're quite happy with it. Like we see John have quite a decent existence on his own, but it is interesting to see them both soften and open up in the presence of another person, particularly Laura, because you don't get that, you know, the first kind of interactions that we have with her. Yeah, it's that's a, it's a nice one. It's a sad one, but it is a nice one to think about the, as you put it, the sense of loneliness, the crushing sense of loneliness. <laughs> Yes, and you're you're right. You're he's lucky he didn't get like a uh, <laughs> the girl from uh, Jersey Shore. I always think about um Shrek and Donkey as well. You know, Donkey's just like, and in the morning I'm making waffles and Shrek's just like, I hate you, please leave. <laughs> so... Get out of my swamp. Yeah, get out of my That's swamp. My very, very <laughs> It's not that bad, mate. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, that um, that's what I always often think of. Is like hmm, it's a bit like you know, in his little little swamp, and then he gets his princess Fiona or his Laura. You know, um, yeah. Be thankful that life gives you Laura and not a donkey. Although to be fair, donkey was pretty cool as well. For me, I had kind of an abstract one for number two, and it was just simplicity, because I think that in the main show sometimes we get things get convoluted and plans get big and things get complex and interactions get complex and it's all it can get quite involved and i think one of the things the show the fear of the walking dead is doing quite well is in the same way that texas is giving characters breathing room i think the show is simplifying things in some ways um in some ways not like the timeline's quite complex as a framing device but the story beats and the characters are in some ways quite beautifully simple, especially the new additions like Althea, like John, like Laura, like Morgan. I like that this episode was in essence, it was almost a standalone movie. You almost really didn't need the episodes before or the episodes that come after. You could just watch this and it would be a story in and of itself. Yeah. I liked that they kept the simple kind of beats of... I don't know, reverse beauty and the beast, someone turns up injured and, you know, it's all very lovely and everyone falls in love. I liked that that was kind of mirrored in 
John's character, and I don't mean this to come out sounding really anti-John because God forbid that I would ever speak anything against John Dory, but he, I get the feeling he is quite a simple guy. I feel like he's a decent enough guy. He says himself that he doesn't think of things in terms of like good or bad, so he's clearly got a kind of moral compass and a sense of honour that we maybe don't see from people all the time in this universe. And he takes pleasure in the simple things in life. Like his routine is little, it's simple, but he does it and he lives it. And that I find really touching. He takes time to have movie night. He takes time to go to the store. He has his little breakfast. He has his wee routine. And that simplicity, it's just really kind of poetic in a lot of ways and gives you the sense of sort of a figure who's quite calm in the midst of a lot of chaos and that appealed to me quite a lot just the simplicity of this episode of the story of the characters of the dialogue and what we see play out oh wow lucy how did you get into my brain (gasps) no really not so much but I, I it's similar I said I loved the honesty and straightforwardness of this episode <gasps> no it way you know it wasn't meant to have these psychological questions or anything it was a simple story played out well clean clear dialogue and the characters were just very I mean Laura was guarded but she was very honest with him when he guessed that she was a nurse she didn't try yeah. to avoid it or anything I just, I loved that. It was so refreshing. And, and you would think, I mean, this could be a straight up Harlequin romance, you know. It completely Injured could. woman lands in front of his cabin, nurses her to hell, uh-huh. fall in love. But, you know, I think the characters were written so, the dialogue was realistic. The character, I, Jenna Elfman and Garrett Dillahunt just played them so authentically that it didn't have that sense of cheesiness at all. No, I think you're right. It was so genuine. There's something just so beautiful about those performances. And you're right, it comes from that honesty and that it it doesn't have to be... Subtlety doesn't have to be... You don't have to be holding loads of things back and you don't have to be mysterious and opaque. Sometimes you can just be simple and that is effective enough. And I think it's quite funny what you said about a Harlequin romance because there was one point about... I think it was shortly after John Dory, like, put platypus down on the scrabble table and my partner turned around to me and he was like so did the producers of the walking dead just actively consult you about what you wanted to see in this episode and i was like <laughs> i was like i'm not even responding to that <laughs> i was like i will ask lara but i think you'll find that it was a very good episode anyway so um yeah no i think that's so funny that there was those were really quite similar um what what else did you have in terms of just the the honesty of the the show for your number one? I thought it was great the way that John was just upfront about why he doesn't like guns. You know, it didn't take much for her to dig. She asked, and he just openly admits that he shot a guy while off duty and yeah. tried to just wound him, but he ended up bleeding out. And yeah. did he say he turned? Right. This this really confused me because the first time I watched it, I was like. <laughs> hang on, so he turned and then you left him there and he ate loads of people? But then I looked back and I was like, I think what he means is, this is when we get like 20 Facebook comments like, Lizzie, 
this is not what this meant. I'm like, okay, sorry. Um, Everyone's yelling at their devices right now. I know. I remember those glorious times like about a year ago when I was the one yelling at podcasts and now I'm the one who's just like, I don't get everything right. It's fine. Um, Right. I think what happened was he was aiming to shoot him in the leg from behind or from the side and the guy literally turned around and so he hit him in an artery and he bled out. But I was the same as you. The first time I heard it, I was like, huh? He turned into a zombie? <laughs> but I think, well, I think we've heard that term so often in, in regards to people turning into zombies that I'm just so used to. Like, what? He actually turned? Yeah, no, oh, he body? literally turned his body on. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> so I think that's the okay, idea, okay. is that he tried to he tried to shoot to disarm or disable but what actually happened was he ended up shooting to kill and he feels really guilty about that and I guess that makes sense as if he was firing a warning shot and that turned into a, a killing shot a kill shot that probably is quite a difficult thing to to come to terms with um I did love and not to get overtly political here at all because I know that I'm I'm from the UK so we don't really have opinions about these things but I did love as well that John didn't glorify the guns in any way he was like you know they are what they are they were shot so beautifully those antique pistols that he has at the start I was like I've never thought of a gun as a piece of kind of artistry before but looking at him cleaning those silver bits in the chambers and the kind of the engraving on it, I was just like, that is a really beautiful piece of machinery that he has. But I liked that he kind of argued for the, what I think is one of the key problems of of sort of any conflict, which is if someone has a gun, someone else will have one too and things escalate. Whereas he's like, if you can keep it simple, you should. And I thought that was, but at the same time, I don't think when he brought the guns out, literally, um, that it was a failing of his character. And I don't think it was like a bad thing. It was just knowing that that's not what his instinct is, is quite interesting as viewers. Well, he, I think he tries to do the least amount of damage, but he knew, you know, if he if he's using the axe or the shovel or whatever, he, he can take care of what he needs to take care of. But at that point, he wasn't going to kill all those zombies with his axe or a shovel. So nope. he needed to pull out the six shooters and yeah. do what he does best. So. Absolutely. And he respects those tools uh, he respects those guns as his tools i mean they're not toys to him and they're not something to be messed with and glorified he's very respectful with them and he knows that it's it's not just a, a toy that they're dangerous weapons and he treats them with that type of respect which is so refreshing because sometimes in some zombie films and that it just becomes like, here's my massive machine gun, ah, and then like, you know, everyone gets shot and you're just like, great, okay. Whereas, I don't know, it's nice to kind of think about the the implications of what he's doing. I think that's that was really cool to see. Or if you're Rick, you uh, shoot up a car like 50 times and throw it to the side. Yeah, you're just like, ah, I'm done with this one, and then like throw it away. I'm just like, oh, Rick, come on. Get another one later. It's just like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I also enjoyed. Did you did you catch that we got a little bit of backstory about why he's quite so good with those guns? Yeah, and I forgot to write down the name of the Wild West show. Did you happen to get it? I didn't. I was going to ask you because I did not catch it. But he, so basically, if I'm correct, he worked weekends at a kind of cowboy lassoing gunshot show for kids kind of thing. Yeah, a Wild West show. I've been to them. I love it. So what is it like a 
pretty common thing over in America or? Well, at least out here in the West, I live uh, in a state that has a huge annual stock show. Oh, wow. And so, I mean, it's a week-long thing. You can go and you can watch um, rodeos and you can watch people ha- uh, like wrestling cattle and stuff, but they'll have these kind of Wild West shows too, with like, you know, showing a bit of gun skills and, oh, and things like that. Yeah. That's so cool. The only thing I can think of that's similar here is we have Highland Games. Well, actually, this is the weird thing. We do have them in Scotland, but I have never seen more Highland Games than when I've been in other countries where Highland Games appear to be like a really big thing. Here we have them, but just not as big of a deal. But um, it tends to be things like tossing the caber, which is throwing a really big tree trunk, riding cattle, <laughs> things like this. It's just, it's not as cool as a Wild West show. I can't, I can't pretend that it is. Um, and the thought of John Dory doing that did make me smile. And I did, I enjoyed that that gave a kind of reason for why he's quite such a cowboy. And why he's so good with those big shooters. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a trick shooter, basically. Yeah. So the thing is like, how many, you know, plates can I throw up in the air and shoot? So a very skilled trick shooter, but also comes in very handy when having to do headshots to zombies. I was going to say, for the zombie apocalypse, that's a pretty good skill to have. Like, <laughs> I would, Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent over here would be. It'd probably be like a man who's really good at paintball. But, you know, that comes with its own issues. Um, anyway, moving on from that. Uh, was that your number one, Lara, that we just covered? I love Okay, so for me, I felt I should talk about the closing scene with Morgan, which brought us back into the present timeline. Um, I really liked this scene for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I liked it most, actually, was because of the Morgan that we saw in it. And it was someone... This is what I thought was interesting about it. The Morgan that we've seen at his most level, on the Morgan scale we're talking pilot episode is when he's helping people. That seems to be something that he thrives on and something that gives him kind of balance. What we don't see, partly because of the way that he kind of loses his, as he says, he loses himself um, when he loses people, people don't tend to ask Morgan for help. And what you saw in that scene was not John maybe asking for help explicitly, but John needing support and Morgan coming into that role quite naturally and thriving on it in that kind of supportive way um and i thought that was just really nice to see particularly after we've seen morgan at such low points over the past um the past few seasons what the gist of their kind of interaction was was kind of morgan's key thing which is you shouldn't wait because waiting is how you lose people you know um you know what it is and that's how he lost his jenny yeah exactly that is to kill her exactly and that's how Dwayne got bit by his mom because Morgan waited to and so on and so forth I like that he draws the parallel with the the fear crew uh, Strand, Luciana and Alicia and their desire for revenge and there's a, just a goodness to his character and to John that really shines through in that ep- that particular interaction when he says you know look me in the eye and tell me that's what you think um, he's really pushing John to kind of be true to himself there and it's just a really nice moment in a lot of ways and to see Morgan be fierce and kind of loyal like that is just so refreshing and nice um he says we are part of the world let's not waste another second so in a way 
I don't mean this because obviously I want to know what's going to happen, but if that was the last we ever saw of John and Morgan walking off into the sunset together, kind of off to live their lives, I feel like that would be a nice poetic ending. Obviously it's not going to be that. They're probably both going to die horribly by some atrocity in the next episode or something. I hope not. But it was just a really nice moment and a nice kind of scene to end on and their relationship is something that I'm really, really enjoying um, in terms of a platonic male friendship. And that scene where you saw John put his gun back in its holster and he has two guns again was just really just heartbreaking, you know, just kind of sad. So for me, the Morgan scene was was a good one. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I felt like Morgan really felt integrated, whereas the previous episodes, he kind of felt like he's like he's supposed to be. He's a crossover from The Walking Dead and yeah. didn't quite feel integrated into the story as much as I felt at the end of this, where he, he finally um, tells John his philosophy and basically pushes John to say, you agree, right? Because he knows that that's yeah. how John feels. And then at that point, I felt like, yeah, I feel like Morgan is in this story now. Mm-hmm. And I think Morgan and John have both found someone who understands their do-no-harm policy if that makes sense I think the the two of them could find a happy medium Morgan tends to have been around people who are much more ruthless I don't know who John has really been around I feel like he just hasn't been around that many people he's quite sheltered in a way so the two of them I feel could be quite good for each other in that respect with their their two trick guns and a an Aikido stick I'm intrigued to see where the road takes them the um, gunslinger and karate man. The gunslinger and the karate man. I love them. Not as much as I love the gunslinger and Laura, but close, close. Uh-huh. Um, did you have any notes? A few. Um, did it look to you at the end with Morgan and John that the colours are starting to lighten up slightly? Yes. It didn't seem as dark and monochromatic. I thought it seemed lighter as well, actually. I wasn't sure if it was just meant to be like early morning, but yeah, no, I did notice that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And then, of course, I thought the cinematography was oh. knocking it out of the park again. Just, it's so beautiful this season. It's just unbelievable. Those scenes of the river were just gorgeous. So nice. Um, oh, one thing that I guess I took a little bit of question with was the walkers at the Jeep. I, so I don't know what was attracting them. Usually they have to be attracted by some sort of sound. I was going to ask you about this. Yeah, what? Start reacting like that. Because no shots were fired. The there's no like fresh human flesh in there. That was quite a long, long term Zed, I would say. Yeah, that was the one kind of plot hole I wasn't sure about either. Is what is attracting them to that? Because it does seem a bit weird. Like, why would they go there and not? Unless could they hear the walker in the water? You know, the one in the car. Yeah. But oh, even then, yeah. I mean, the, the river. Right? Yeah, what but the even then. I would think that would be so muffled, though. But well, yeah. You know, if anyone has seen, you know, if anyone has seen a quiet place, you will know that the river is a good place to have a conversation. But um, yeah, I'm I'm confused by that as well. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know what? Although I'm an animal lover, and I wouldn't want them going after it if, if a, uh, a raccoon or something had gotten in there, you know? And yeah, they were trying to grab at it or something. Yeah, I feel like they they could have had an easy explanation there but they didn't so I I mean unless and I'm sure the internet will tell us if we have missed something but I couldn't figure it out either so (laughs) right please tell us internet yeah please do (laughs) uh my only other comment Mm -hmm. was she took the boots 
She did. She did take the boots. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the boots were quite a nice sort of... I'm not quite sure what they were symbolising at various points in the the episode, but it was nice, kind of, that motif of them on the porch was was really sweet. Um, I don't have that many notes. I'm just going through them. I didn't know that you could get cactus fruit. Is that true? You can. They actually sell them in the stores here. What does it the taste like? Hair cactus. Oh. Um, have I actually? I've had it, it at restaurants in, like, a sauce but I've never made it myself. But it, it comes from a prickly pear. Okay. And you do need the gloves to get them off because I tried grabbing one oh, as no. a kid and you will get prickles. Oh, Little gosh. tiny ones in your finger. Oh, no. Um, and I think you peel them and just cook them up. Oh, there you go. I have written a couple of things about the cinematography as well. Um, just that it was really lovely. And there was a really cool shot of him putting an axe to the head of a a zombie outside out front and it was just a very cool lumberjack shot that I appreciated. I didn't know that suss it out wasn't a Britishism. I thought suss it out was something that you only said in Britain, but he says it in this episode as well. Oh. To suss well, something. John does have a very uh, elegant vocabulary. He I does think. indeed. He's got his, his British slang is uh, is down pat. I like that Laura said she was a better driver than that. Shout out to Rima and our chat the other week about female drivers. Laura representing the, the female drivers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did have a little note. I was just thinking to myself, imagine if Garrett Dillahunt had been cast as Negan. Because the, the, you know, that was the rumour for a while, was that he was in line for it or he was interested in it. And I just thought, no, John Dory was meant to be. Never, never think this again, Lucy. So that was my fleeting thought there. Um, we saw Laura get her backpack which was quite interesting. Um, we spoke about the rev- the uh, the film reviews. There's a lot... I mean, I'll be honest with you, listeners. Uh, there's a lot of me writing things like, these people are too cute, I cannot deal, OMG, they play Scrabble, heart, 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 smiley face, and things like that. So um, we'll just we'll skip over that. Nobody needs to read those. Um, I enjoyed... There was a zombie that had a bit of its leg poking out its thigh that I thought was pretty disgusting, but pretty amazing that John killed. And yeah, watch out for a pile of zombies um, when you're trying to kill them and they start piling up. I thought that his admission of love was just beyond adorable. Um, And when he said, if you're alive, this whole world feels alive was just so simple but ostentatious and wonderful and it just made me cry it was very very beautiful and I like the mirroring of the opening shot with him in the bed leaning over towards the other side as though someone was there as opposed to the beginning where we see him on his own looking up at the ceiling and yeah it was just very beautiful that he keeps the Scrabble letters with him as well um I think that is it, yeah, I had a note about him being a, an impersonator, but that is, we spoke about that. Um, so that's us. Anything else you'd like to add, Lara? Um, just just one red mark in the John Dory list here. Uh-huh. What's with that sink? That sink was filthy. Oh, good Lord, man. Have a word with yourself and clean your sink. That is just, it's not yeah. okay. I'm just like, no. He was that, so tidy. He was so but, tidy. You know, and Take a little baking soda to that sink, John. It's really not that difficult. Baking soda doesn't go off either. I'm sure Bills would have had some if he'd looked. God, John, have a word with yourself. <laughs> All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna take a short break, and we'll be back with news about The Walking Dead. I knew someday 
Jason interrupting your regularly scheduled program to bring you a new sponsor that I'm super excited about another home run for you guys when I heard about this one I'm like yeah some people that listen are definitely going to be interested so here it is it's called Philo it's an app and it's a service and it's a way that some of you are going to be able to use to cut down on your expensive tv bills What it is, is you get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels, like, here's a few, Investigation Discovery, HGTV, VH1, MTV, A&E, Nick, Own, Bet, Discovery, Lifetime, TLC, History, WeTV, Paramount, and AMC. That's the one that really clinched it. Um, They're adding more channels all the time, too. There's new ones coming in a couple of weeks. You get live TV, on-demand, unlimited recording, so you can save as many shows as you want. And all this stuff is only $16 a month, which is actually the lowest price on the market for this kind of service, which is what, because I've, you know, I've heard about different streaming services and, and ways to get packages of channels like this. And um, here's another one that I hadn't heard of before. What makes it so special? Well, it's really easy. I mean, it's really affordable. Um, one way they do that, they don't bother with lo- local broadcasts. So that adds cost to other services without adding value to most people since you can just get broadcast over your uh, regular TV. So this could save you about $100 each month on your TV bill. I don't think there's ever been a better deal than this. It's the cheapest way to watch all your favorite TV. It's cord-free, it's commitment-free, it's hassle-free. You can even save the shows and you can share them with your friends. Uh, Right now you can watch this on Roku, Android and iOS, so your phones or your tablets, and there's more devices coming soon. It's really easy to use. But like I said, you know, for us, I think it's particularly awesome that AMC is on there. Uh, If you've thought about cutting that cord, you could save a lot of money. I tried it out and I wanted to check out another AMC show, The Terror, because I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that. Um, You might have remember I mentioned it on the podcast a while back. I never got around to watching it, but I wanted to see if I could watch it on Philo. So I opened it up. I searched on The Terror, and all of a sudden there it was. The Terror, all eight episodes that have aired so far, ready to play any of them, ready to binge. So it's really, really super easy to use. It's just a a great service. Here's what you can do. You can start a free trial right now, instantly, with just your phone number, actually. You don't even need to put in your credit card info or anything. So you can just get in and start using it right away and see if you like it. 
So don't pay for broadcast or sports channels you don't even want to watch. Visit go.philo.com slash deadcast. That's go.philo.com slash deadcast. Or you can also text the word deadcast to 74456. That's 74456. Text the word deadcast. I would love to hear your guys' experience with this. So if and when you try it out, write in and let us know how it went. Thank you to Philo. Obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens. The people it kills get up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is a Walking Dead cast news update. Okay, guys, so news about The Walking Dead. So, Entertainment Weekly interviewed Fear the Walking Dead showrunners Andrew Shambliss and Ian Goldberg. Entertainment Weekly asked, We have this really nice change of pace installment that flashes back to how John Dory and Naomi met. Tell us about the inspiration behind this episode. Andrew Shambliss, Yeah, exactly. We were very excited to change things up and we've been telling this very tightly serialised narrative taking place over two different timelines going back and forth between them. It was very important to tell this love story and really make it feel like it was a real love story between two people who have been damaged in very different ways. And really just to be honest about that. And we got very lucky with Jenna and Garrett's performances and their chemistry with each other because it far exceeded our wildest hopes and dreams. Entertainment Weekly. Um, and you mentioned that cabin. I love the moat concept that John's come up with outside the cabin. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, why are more people not digging moats? That's a really good defence system there. It's a question we were asking ourselves. We wanted him to have a setup that felt different from something we've seen before. And when we were talking about all the different ways you protect your place from an attack of walkers, it just seemed like a moat made a lot of sense. And Dory's a pretty smart guy and we've seen he's good at survival. Not just in the zombie apocalypse, but he's an outdoorsman and it just made a lot of sense to us. Of course, says Entertainment Weekly, the biggest line of the episode is not delivered by John or Naomi, but rather Morgan back in the present, who after hearing the story says, We're alive. We are part of the world. Let's not waste another second. For Morgan to say we are part of the world, let's not waste another second, is a pretty huge shift. What is it that gets him to that place? Goldberg says... There's a bunch of factors, and one of the things that's really powerful about Morgan saying that in that moment is that those are the words that Rick said to him when he left the heaps in episode 401. Those were Rick's parting words to him, and we see him say them when we see him say them to Dory, it's almost like Morgan is hearing them for the first time. He's finally understanding what Rick was telling him, and it's huge for him. Oh, Lara, I did not notice that. <laughs> right. And actually, I was thinking as you read that, that, um, I mean, Morgan's a great example of being alone in the apocalypse. He was alone for himself for quite a while in that town. And oh, he absolutely. went a little stir crazy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> and now that he's saying we're a part of the world, that means yeah. probably coming around to being around people again. That is, oh, I'm, I'm annoyed that I didn't notice that those were Rick's words, but that's really lovely, actually. I like that. From ScreenDaily.com, Chris Mull's UK paranormal thriller Astral, starring Frank Delane, has scored a huge deal with Vertical Entertainment for North American distribution and has also been picked up for international sales by film seekers. The film stars Frank Delane, Vanessa Grassi, I think, Leatherface, and Damson Idris, Farming. In the story of 
a metaphysics student who discovers the practice of astral projection and the scientific possibility of a dimension outside of our own. Coming to terms with the death of his mother, Alex turns to astral projection in an attempt to reconnect with her. This movie was filmed a couple of years ago or so and is just now getting a distribution deal. So make of that what you will. That sounds really cool. Interesting. I bet Frank Delane's playing Alex. That is my bet. AMC.com had an interview with Danae Garcia. They asked, was it eerie to continue filming with Frank Delane even after his death scene? She says, yes, it kept going in episode four. In telling Althea what went wrong, Luciana has to relive all her mistakes and everything that went wrong that got us here. That was very hard. They ask, Luciana is the one to put Nick down before he turns. Why was it important for her to be the one? Danae says, when I first read that scene, I felt it was a bit theatrical to me, almost like I will be the last one to do this for you. Love is what's going to close your eyes and make it right. Their journeys and this whole relationship was not finished. They were supposed to live a life together and it never happened. So many broken dreams. To be able to be that, it felt like closure. Even though it's Luciana's worst nightmare, the fact that she's at least here makes it better. That's how I approached that. At the end of the episode, Luciana, Strand and Alicia are preparing for vengeance against Mel and the Vultures. Does Luciana believe this is what Nick would want? Is this what Luciana wants? Her motivation at the end of episode four is Nick. The morning kicks in and at this point she's not a human anymore. She's like a machine on a mission. They took a lot from us. There is a lot of anger. I remember talking with the director, Magnus Martins, about how she's not rational at this point. She has a target and she's not going to stop until she gets it. That's Luciana. That's who she is. It's like, okay, you give me no choice but to end you. She's not thinking. She just has a mission. There is no compromise whatsoever. Interesting from Danae there. I'll talk about broken dreams. I'm never going to get to see my dream zombie baby that she had with Nick. I know, and neither will Madison. She had that wee premonition as well. (laughs) Shucks. Yeah. Okay, from cinemablend.com. Fans of The Walking Dead are about to see their favorite actors breathe life into whole new characters. Lauren Cohan and Michael Cudlists are both heading to the Alphabet Network in two very different yet funny new series. ABC has given series orders to both actors' pilots. Here is what we know. Mm-hmm. Lauren Cohan will star in Whiskey Cavalier. The hour-long dramedy is an action-oriented adventure series that will star Cohan as Francesca Frankie Crowbridge, a CIA operative with a code with the code name Fiery Tribune. Mm-hmm. According to ABC's announcement of the series pickup, it will chronicle Frankie's partnership with FBI super agent Will Chase, Scott Foley, as they lead an interagency team of misfit spies. Their hurdles include steering through the murky minefield of friendship, romance, and office politics. Hmm. Michael Cudlitz's new series, The Kids Are All, Are All Right, is a sitcom set in the 1970s. Cudlitz stars as the patriarch of a huge Irish Catholic family, which includes eight, yes, eight, sons. For those wondering how Lauren Cohan's series will impact her run on The Walking Dead, we know that she will be around for season nine. How long remains a mystery. Viewers will have to untangle when the next season debuts. ABC greenlighting the show definitely brings Cohan's tenure to The Walking Dead into question. Can she do both shows? Stranger things have happened, especially if the new show ends up shooting in Atlanta. Clive Standen pulled double duty on history's 
Vikings, and NBC's Taken. Ooh, exciting. Okay, okay. Um, Stir up. I think that the actor who played Noah is also in Whiskey Cavalier. Um, oh, yeah. Whose name completely escapes me at this moment, but I'm pretty sure that he's got a, a role in that as well. So that's interesting to see them both. I didn't know about Cudlets, so there you go. Our oh, sister's bestie, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite sweet, you know? Um, okay, so moving on now to listener moans, groans, and grunts. Steve Brown says, Great episode. That gunplay and marksmanship by JD was incredible. The only thing that bothered me was the zombies pushing over the car. Have we ever seen them fixate on an inanimate object that no, with no live person in it? Fair point, Steve. Fair point. Mofevo says, if you go back and rewatch the scene, it starts with the truck, the one that Dory asked Laura about earlier in the canoe, in the water with an infective inside making noise, giving the impression that the noise it was making was drawing the others. I was more surprised by how many at once compared to how few throughout the episode. I guess it was accumulation. I think what Mo's getting at there, uh, what Mo Favo's getting at there is, yeah, what we were saying about the infected drawing the infected and uh, how they accumulate at that point. Good point, Mo. Point. Pick Allen says, in love with this episode. I was excited for it. Absolutely loved John Dory. Oh, see? The guys love John Dory, too. Woo-woo, pick! <laughs> he is officially my favourite character on Fear now. He's so sweet and caring and has such a heart. Damn it, now I have a man crush. Aww. Aww. LOL. Hell, I would, I would have stayed with him. Lucy, this is my official application to join the John Dory fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, you're in. <laughs> I think I'd be a great addition. Anywho, so many feels, warm fuzzies, and a huge smile on my face the whole first two-thirds of the episode, and then such a heavy heart for John during the last portion. Oh, Pig, you sweetheart. Doug Fix says, Usually not a fan of these single storyline episodes, but the acting was superb and the writing so good that I enjoyed it immensely. It was sweet and genuine. These can be characters that you can really care about. Shane I'm so sorry, Shane, if I get this wrong. Shane Perrier? Mm-hmm. John Dory is my new favorite Walking Dead character. Also, the fact that this episode was directed by the same guy who directed The Grove made me like this episode so much. Oh, that's right. Oh, it's Michael Cetrazimus. Good spot. Brad Holt says, by far the best episode of Fear the Walking Dead thus far. Episodes like this are why I fell in love with The Walking Dead. Superb character building like this allows us to bond with and to really care about these characters. This episode was also beautifully directed by Michael Satrazimus from Walking Dead's The Grove. Be sure to watch Talking Dead. Jenna Elfman gives a fantastic interview. I only saw half of that, but I want to go back and finish watching it because she's so bubbly. I just love her. Okay, Rick Montavon says, I believe John Dory just became my favourite character. No one like him. So there's a bigger congregation of John Dory fans. I think we're going to have to expand the the clubhouse. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to need more seats. We're going to need a bigger clubhouse (laughs) and more seats. Sue Ellen Smith says, I loved it. Great script. And Laura slash Naomi and John were beautiful together. It felt very genuine. Smiley face emoji with heart eyes. Michelle Rennie Fox. What a story to see John in his element 
and know he really is nice and kind and not some serial killer. (laughs) He took her in, cared for her, and named her Laura. (laughs) He is upstanding, insightful, and a resourceful man. Oh, you're quite right, Cheryl. John Benz. This was the episode I've been waiting for since the new season started. Concentrating on both of these unique and beautiful characters, the writing, it all really made me just want more of them on the show. The dichotomy of their story and the brutality of what they needed to do do to survive, just beautiful. The best acting and writing by far. I'd write more, but I need to go and research everything that Jenna Elfman and Garrett Dillahunt have ever been in. Skull emoji. Thanks, John. <laughs> we have Alicia Stout, who says, Ooh, <laughs> Not only did we get a phenomenal episode, but a true and super sweet love story. How freaking adorable is John Dory? I mean, can he be my boyfriend? Kissy emoji, heart-eyed emoji. I literally cried when he said he loved her, but couldn't tell her. Crying emoji. But that whole time she stayed and she couldn't even be honest with him about her name. Uh, Many, several broken hearts. I think Alicia speaks for all of us there. Um, I also have a comment that came in on Twitter from Mark Anthony Miranda, who says that he would totally watch a spin-off about this Forrest Gump gunslinger wandering Earth like Kwai Chang Kane. He's going to die, isn't he? Cheerful thought, Mark Anthony. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> no. I know. Come off enough characters on this show. I know. But some of them live. We also have a couple of calls, so I'm just going to play those now. Hi guys, this is Rudy listening from Chicago, Illinois. Love your show. I've been uh, listening pretty much since uh, Fear the Walking Dead just started. And I got to tell you, you guys make the show and the episodes a lot better. Uh, I haven't really been listening to podcasts before, but this is so awesome and um, covers a lot of different holes uh, from, you know, just watching the show. I think the last episode was pretty cool. I just think that it was poorly done the way they had to bring the Zeds back to the shed. Like they couldn't figure out another way to, you know, you know, make a threat. It just felt like, you know, why are they attracted to the hole on the bridge and why did they mm-hmm. need to jump in the river? Uh, other than that, I, I really love the show and I really love the payoff of John Dory actually blasting his guns while West style. Uh, but anyway, just want to hear your thoughts. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Um, thank you very much for the podcast. It's awesome. And you have gained a listener for life. Peace oh. out. That's amazing. Thanks so much, Rudy. I love Chicago. It's such a cool city. Um, Lara, I think we kind of covered that, didn't we, about the, the convenient right. plot device there. So all I can say is we're on the, the same page as you there. Um, they probably should have had something more concrete that the walkers were were chasing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those it's one of those things where you're like, it's a simple adjustment that would make it just a bit more believable in some ways. Um, I've also got a phone call here from Emily Reeves. Hey, how's it going? It's Emily from Arizona here. I was just wondering if anybody caught what John Dory was watching for his Tuesday night movie. I, I heard some dialogue in the background that was talking about John Doe, so that really kind of intrigued me. And I did a little research, and it looks like he was watching the movie Meet John Doe, which is an old Gary Cooper movie. 
And the basis of this movie is apparently there's this fake news article written, but it inspired this philosophy to be a better neighbor. So I thought that was really interesting, um, seeing the parallels between this John Doe and John Dory. And I also added a little audio clip of a speech that this guy makes in the movie. So here it is. But we've all got to get in there and pitch. We can't win the old ball game unless we have teamwork. And that's where every John Doe comes in. It's up to him to get together with his teammate. And your teammate, my friends, is the guy next door to you. Your neighbor, he's a terribly important guy, that guy next door. You're going to need him, and he's going to need you, so look him up. If he's sick, call on him. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's out of a job, find him one. To most of you, your neighbor is a stranger, a guy with a barking dog and a high fence around him. Now, you can't be a stranger to any guy that's on your own team. So tear down the fence that separates you. Tear down the fence... And you'll tear down a lot of hates and prejudices. Tear down all the fences in the country and you'll really have teamwork. Amazing. Um, thank well, you. Emily always sends the best voicemails. Emily, did we just become best friends? Like, yes, absolutely. Obviously, research what film that is because obviously it makes complete artistic sense and what an amazing bit to pick from it. Thank you so much for sending that in. You're right, Lara is... Always a good one when Emily calls in. Hey, this is Jason. Again, I just wanted to remind you one more time, say goodbye to your expensive TV bills. Why would you want an expensive TV bill? You don't. So use Philo. It's the simple, powerful app for watching TV. Like I said, you can get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels, VH1A, MTV, Bet, Discovery, Lifetime, and AMC, of course, as well as live TV, on demand, unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month, no contract, needed. There's never been a better deal than this. So start your free trial right away with just your phone number, no credit card needed. You can do that by visiting go.philo.com slash deadcast. It's go.philo.com slash deadcast or text the word deadcast to 74456. Thanks, Philo. that's our show episode 309 thanks for listening everyone um thank you so much for being on with me today lara it's um taken us a remarkable amount of organization to get here but get here we did it was a real pleasure thanks lucy i am so glad to have actually got to speak with you in real time we chit chat on the on the chats a bit but it's really nice to get to talk with you well once you're a friend of the john dory fan club you're a friend for life so this will be our first official meeting and then you know we'll send out minutes and stuff after so (laughs) we're gonna need some pins definitely pins maybe some t-shirts you know some memorabilia merch yeah yeah yeah. i think we and definitely tuesday film nights for sure for sure um no in all seriousness it's been absolutely great talking to you lara um i hope we can have you back again soon and i hope that the rest of the season is as dorylicious as this particular episode was (laughs) great okay we wanted to just let you know that this episode was edited by brian malosh he wanted us to let you guys know he's available for podcast editing work. He's at Brian Malosh, 
E-R-I-A-N-M-E-L-O-C-H-E at gmail.com. And he has podcasts at walkingdeadtalkthrough.com and startrekdiscoverypodcast.com. We'll put his info in the show notes or you can write us if you're interested. Brian's a bit of a hero and tech support to all of us. So thank you once again, Brian, for all your help. If you'd like to call us, you can call us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323. Or you can email us at brains at podcastica.com. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next week, Fear the Walking Dead Season 4 Episode 6, Just In Case. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't get bit, Doug Fick.